0: Welcome to Bellies, Bits and Babies, a babyology podcast about women's pelvic health, hosted by pelvic floor expert and physiotherapist, Heba Shaheed. She's on a mission to break the taboos surrounding women's pelvic health, and to educate and empower women to live healthier, stronger and happier lives. More than 300,000 Australian women give birth each year. Unfortunately, three out of four mums who have a vaginal birth will experience some type of pelvic issue during or after birth, which could mean pain, tearing or prolapse. Many women are too embarrassed or afraid to seek help. Or, if they do see a health professional, they're often told that such symptoms are normal and they just have to put up with them. In this episode, we're talking about birth plans and how we can better prepare and empower women before, during and after birth. The goal? Prevent and manage pelvic floor injuries. In just a moment, Heba will be joined by Edwina Sharrock, midwife and founder of Birthbeat Online Antenatal Classes.
1: Thanks so much for joining me, Edwina. Honestly, I can't wait to dive in and just learn all about the birth education and birth plans and all that midwifery has to offer for for us as women and mothers and mothers-to-be. And I actually want to also acknowledge that my daughter, little rakea who is a year and two months old, is also in the studio. As you know, when we're mums, we can never plan for everything to go quite the way that we want it to. And so today I am without a babysitter.
2: And so I'm with, I've got Rakea here in the room with me. And I have to say, she's adorable and behaving far better than my four and six-year-old would be if they were in here with us. <laughs> we shall see how it goes for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> so how can
1: we better prepare mothers prenatally to prevent these pelvic floor issues? And how can we empower women during and after birth to prevent and manage these issues as they arise? So let's talk about you know the importance of birth education, Edwina. Why is it important and what can women expect to learn from birth education
2: classes or consultations? You need to find a care provider who's going to provide you with evidence-based education, an education that's sourced from physios, obstetricians, midwives, the whole gamut of health professionals. But then really get into the conversation with them and talk to them about, you know, What is your intervention rate? What is your follow-up referral program? What is, you know, really get into the nitty-gritty of the importance of that follow-up care. In education, though, when you're asking specifically about what can women do in pregnancy to educate themselves is find quality childbirth education and the importance of understanding how you prepare in your pregnancy and actually how you birth. So I know that we're going to get in and talk about it in more detail But the type of birth that you can prepare for can have a big impact on that perineal damage or tissue damage. Perineal tearing full stop is not uncommon and not necessarily a bad thing. You know, a lot of first time mums really worry about tearing. That's what I see all the time. So in the birth suite, women will labor and progress beautifully. And then when it comes time to push out their baby, there's a big fear around perineal trauma. Now I'm just going to quickly like put my little midi hat on and check that everyone knows what we're talking about when we're talking about the perineum. So I'm a very handy gesture person. So picture me now here and think about where the little hole is for your vagina and the little hole for your bottom. And it's the skin and tissue area in between that area, which is designed to stretch. But a lot of women will experience a You know, amount of perineal damage. I'm trying to choose my words here, which is normal. Like we have to acknowledge that as well. Yeah,
1: so just for those of you listening, perineal tearing is essentially when you have a small or a Deeper tear that can extend from your vagina into your anus, and there's four levels of perineal tearing that can occur. You can have a grade one tear, which goes from, which is just in the vaginal skin. You can have a grade two tear, which can go into your perineum, so that's that little bit between your vagina or your anus. And these two levels of tearing are generally, you know, that you can recover from that relatively quick quickly. In second degree, you might have a few stitches. Generally, you're you know, the comfort level should be. Not too bad. It's only when you get into a third or fourth degree perineal tear where you might run into some issues like maybe fecal incontinence or trouble controlling your wind. Or, you know, after birth, you may have to have some kind of repair to help, um, you know, repair the anal sphincter itself, which can sometimes become torn or it does become torn in a third or fourth degree tear. Like you mentioned, a lot of women are afraid. They're afraid that they're going to tear. So how do we reduce that fear? What can we do? You know, you have birth, you do birth education in person and online. How can women reduce that fear and accept that, yes, you know, a bit of tearing might be okay, but how can we even prevent that deeper level of tear?
2: so yep. that they don't have that Absolutely, those, those and that's, that's what I think is so important to clarify. Yes, so it's very important for women to understand the process of labour and birth. You know, like you or I, if we were going into a new job and told to do something, we'd expect a certain amount of education and being shown and guided. Birth is just like that. You need to learn how to birth. It is a very primal experience, but if you want to go into something completely without fear... Having that education is what's power. So if you understand the process, you understand what's going on, that's what helps remove the fear. So we very much drill down on what is the process of oxytocin and endorphins and the awesome hormones, what's their role in helping that tissue to stretch. You know, that's, you know, that's the important thing to acknowledge. And when women understand that process, that's what removes the fear. But then we need to do the really practical tips and tricks. So talking about positioning, talking about posture, talking about the way we exercise and do our pelvic floor exercises in pregnancy. All women should be doing them. You know, like midwives are probably like physios, the biggest champions of pelvic floor exercises. But what I say to my women all the time is it's about knowing how to do it correctly And it's a very hard thing to explain unless you're having it explained by a health professional who understands. And I think that's probably much more your strength, Heber. What I say to all my birthbeat women is to make sure that they have a physio appointment six weeks post-birth, just regardless.
1: Yes. So you mentioned the role of hormones and how that can impact, you know, women in labor and in delivery. And can you go into a bit more detail about what happens there so that
2: women kind of understand? Yeah, absolutely. So um, this is in about 14 hours of content online, so I'll do my most brief version. But a great way and a great way to explain it is to think of you standing up there straight like a coffee plunger. And up the top on your head, you think of that coffee plunger being pushed. And this is a great little analogy because in your brain, you create oxytocin or you think you, the oxytocin is triggered in your brain. Now, the oxytocin is the hormone that tells your uterus to start contracting. So your uterus is sitting up on top of your baby baby's bottom in your tummy. So for all the pregnant women that are listening, you can put your hands up on top of bump, and you'll be putting your hands likely on top of your uterus. The oxytocin from your brain tells the uterus to contract, which pushes on the baby's bottom, which pushes on the baby's head, which pushes on the cervix. So think of it like that lovely coffee plunger effect. What we want, though, is for then that baby's head to be pushing on the cervix. The cervix dilates, which is just a word that we say, which means that your cervix, which is kind of like a long, gristly thing, is the best way to describe what it feels like. That then opens. So we want the cervix to open because that's where the baby's head needs to pass through before you start to push the baby out of your vagina. That's the process. I love that
1: description of the coffee plunger. <laughs> and it kind of makes it feel like a sequential thing. And it's not just this thing that you go in and you just have to push this baby out of this hole. Like that's kind of what Absolutely. You, you often think
2: of. And so when we keep referring back to that is if you're embarrassed or scared or fearful, that's at the very top of the coffee plunger. So up in your brain, oxytocin is a very shy hormone. If you're having those feelings, you don't produce as much oxytocin. So that's why step one, get educated, remove the fear. And, and you're going to then have more oxytocin and it's that whole flow on effect.
1: It's almost like it starts with your mindset, isn't it? It You've absolutely
2: to... does. Like so many things in life, we, to, to pretend that we're not fearful of birth, You know, it's, we would all be fearful of anything if you don't understand it. So that's why it's so important to do education, so that you understand what's going on. It's the same process that I use when I'm teaching women about
1: pain. So I work a lot with women who have pelvic pain or who have sexual pain or who have back pain. And the first thing is that you have to understand pain to actually reduce pain and it's the same thing when it comes to birth isn't it you have to understand the full birth process you have to understand the hormones that are changing in your body and how they impact your birth process you have to understand what type of positions you need to get into to facilitate a birth that has you know hopefully less trauma
0: you're listening to Bellies, Bits and Babies, a babyology podcast about women's pelvic health, hosted by pelvic floor expert and physiotherapist Heba Shaheed. She's talking to Edwina Sharik, midwife and founder of Birthbeat Online Antenatal Classes. Coming up after the break, we'll be talking about what birth actually feels like and the importance of making a birth plan. Getting a toddler to sleep is a challenge, but thankfully, Kindling has the solution. Bedtime Explorers is Kindling's hugely popular meditation series, created especially for little ones. Hosted by mindfulness coach Amy Taylor Cabaz, kids happily drift off while listening to calming guided journeys with magical places and mythical creatures. Breathe in and fill up the balloon in your belly. Bedtime Explorers. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.
1: What are, you know, in your expert midwifery opinion, the best positions that women should know of, firstly, to hopefully birth in a way that reduces any type of injury that can occur? And particularly around the pelvic floor, you know, we, yeah. we want a position where the pelvic floor can, you know, stretch and open and it doesn't, you know, clamp down. Because I know there are some mm. positions where the pelvic floor can actually um, become into a, a clamped, closed position. So how can we facilitate that open pelvic floor and a position where even mentally it's it's okay? Because we know that sometimes even strength can mm. be an issue. So. What are the optimal positions for labour and delivery so that we can help reduce these pelvic floor problems after birth? Yeah, okay,
2: that's a great question. I think like the first part to that answer has to be there's no right or wrong position to labour and birth. You know, Whatever feels good for you, whatever you're comfortable, the thing is listening to your body. So a lot of women in labour and birth will be so terribly uncomfortable but think that they're in the position that they're meant to be. And unfortunately, it's probably a lot of American movies that we think prior to going into birth that the position that most women will be in is lying on a bed. So I get out my pelvis antenatally and doing the education and I show mums what the road trip would look like for your baby if you're lying flat on your back, trying to basically push your baby uphill into your coccyx bone (laughs) and then trying to push your baby uphill. So antenatally and in labour, there's a lot that mums can do for ideal positioning antenatally it's thinking about the way the pelvis is and the tilt and the pelvis tilt so I always encourage my mums to be doing a lot of time on all fours so getting down on their hands and knees a lot of mums also find that much more comfortable in labor get a lot of lower back pain and a lot of pelvis pain but also leaning over so leaning over and taking a bit of that pain off their lower back and their lower pelvis so the ideal things to be thinking about are how you sit how you stand how your posture is In pregnancy, that's potentially going to help you to not have what we call a posterior labour. And what we mean by a posterior labour is when the baby's spine is in line with the mum's spine and that is not the ideal position. We want bub's head to be turned around 45 degrees from that and that's the best way for the baby's head to go into the pelvis because it's the most optimal way for the baby's head to fit into the pelvis, which means that mum's going to have a more comfortable, more efficient, usually quicker labour, whereas a posterior is going to be a longer labour.
1: I love how you spoke about posture and alignment in the antenatal period because that is so much of what I do. So much of what I teach women is trying to get into good optimal positionings, good postures. It's not just important for your day-to-day life, but it's important for your labor and your delivery as well. And, you know, things like getting baby into the right position is influenced by the positions that we're spending the rest of our day in. So if you're standing in a poor alignment, you know, during the day or you're sitting at your desk at work, and, you know, you're in that hunched over position, you know, not only are you going to experience neck pain, back pain, pelvic pain and so on, but you're also not setting up that
2: beautiful environment for your baby to come out yeah. in you know, the healthiest way possible. That's exactly right. And it's often missed antenatally and people aren't educated around that. So a big part and particularly how we live our lives now as society, lots of sitting at the desk, sitting at the computer, things like that. So I encourage my women to walk often think about their posture, think about their positioning, trying to be on all fours as much as comfortable, getting a fit ball and really engaging that and using it antenatally. And I say in the birth classes and I show them all the exercises and I'm like, the time to start doing this is now. You know, it's not in a week or in a couple of weeks or when labour gets closer. Do everything you can do to get baby into the ideal position prior to going into labour. And as I said, you have a more efficient, more comfortable, quicker labour. We know that
1: exercise is incredibly valuable and there's so many different exercises that women can do. It could be a Pilates-based exercise, it could be yoga, it could be walking, but any form of exercise is really important. So we mentioned before that there are some positions that can put more strain on the pelvic floor during
2: delivery. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, absolutely. And um, this again comes back to that sort of ideal, we talk about ideal positioning in antenatal, so prior to going into labour, then when you go into labour and think back again to that coffee plunger effect, if something like in terms of the position of the baby's head as the baby's head's passing through the pelvis isn't ideal, you need to be thinking about positions that will help open the pelvis. So we also know through a whole lot of research that positioning plays such an important role in the way that the pelvis can open and it can open. It does open in pregnancy and birth. It opens significantly with position. So what I champion for in birthbeat is an open, upright pelvis position birth. Now, again, like I'm very You know, I'm sort of showing this position to Heber, but that's not really helping you now on the radio. But think about getting your legs open wider than your hip stance, bending over, and that is the ideal position. You are obviously also not going to be able to stand in that position for a long amount of time. It can be quite exhausting. So it might be sitting on the toilet, sitting on a birth stool, getting down on all fours, leaning over a bed, leaning over a beanbag anything like that is an open upright pelvis position because you're just thinking about the ideal position that makes the most space for the baby's head to pass through. A lot of women don't realize that they have to train for this. Like you can't just
1: expect to be able to get into that, you know, active birthing position where, you know, you you have to hold this squat position or hold these standing postures or, you know, have your legs wide open if you haven't trained for it. And so You can't just leave it up to the last minute, you know. Oh yeah, I'll I'll do. I'll do that. I know mentally that's what I need to do, so I'll do that when I'm giving birth. But actually, you need to train for it, and so throughout your pregnancy, you need to be doing and practicing these postures. And it could be in an exercise class, or it could just be at home, spending five minutes, ten minutes. And you know, we know that labour doesn't take. You know, not going to take five minutes
2: or (laughs) ten minutes. So you really got to build up to it. it's like running a marathon right like I, you, don't- was, you absolutely nailed it there at birth we say it's like running a marathon actually birthing and pushing your baby out is just about crossing the finish line there's a long race that comes before that with the mindset with your support with your partner you know that's all part of preparing for the marathon and the marathon is getting that far but it's also like you've got to remember positions and things to try and what feels comfortable But I often say to women, have at least, you know, and this is what Birth Beats all about, tips and tricks about how to birth, have at least five or six options where you feel comfortable and positions that you and your support person are familiar with so that when it comes to the birth, you've got those options that are there fresh in your mind, ready to go.
1: So many of the women that I've worked with, they've come to see me after the damage has been done. And when I speak to them about, did you have, you know, the education, did you know what type of positions to get into? Almost every single woman was just lying on her back on the bed. And then I'm educating her postpartum, like after the fact. We need to be
2: more proactive. Exactly. And Wouldn't it be great if they had that for their first birth and they wouldn't be there in the first place? The thing, my big thing is we need to normalize childbirth education. Like women need to realize the importance of it. I'm not saying, like I'm not going to be here saying that they have to go to birthbeat. There are so many quality childbirth education programs out there. Find a educator that you trust, know their background, know that they have experience in what they're talking and what they're teaching because it's a pretty unregulated field out there. And make sure you feel comfortable and you have some trust with them and your support person feels comfortable and wants to go to those classes. So important. So important.
1: Absolutely. And do your research as well. So sometimes you might have birth education and they don't really talk about birth positioning. I mean, I know personally, my sister gave birth in a public hospital and she didn't get this birth education about not lying on her back. Like she, And she didn't have any preparation or anything. She had me as her sister, but you know how it is with family. No one ever listens to you when you're trying to tell them to prevent this from happening in the first place. Um, but yeah, definitely like Do your research and listen to Trusted Health Professionals. Mm. So let's talk more about birth plans. I am a huge proponent of birth plans and not just, you know, for what happens on the day, but even in the lead up, like everything from as soon as you find out you're pregnant and then right through you know, the birth, what's going to happen, and even the things that you don't want to happen to have it kind of outlined in your birth
2: plan. So what's your advice when it comes to birth plans? Okay, well, firstly, and I, look, I'm, not trying to, um, I'm not trying to be controversial here, but I don't like, I'm going to say, it's not that I don't like birth plans. I like the concept. I don't like the wording. Right. So when we talk about mindset as women... We want something to go to plan, you know, and in our mind, we're going to plan it. And then if it doesn't go to what we said, we feel like we failed. So I give birthbeat women a template that's called birth wishes. Right. So, and it's talking about that, that sort of that power of mindset. These are the things that are really important to me, you know, discussing the things that are really important to you, discussing the things that you don't want or you do want, but then also accepting that there are some things that are a bit of a non-negotiable, you know, like we have to also as health professionals and particularly as a midwife, I think there is so much pressure put on women around the way that they birth. I think in Australia we really need to start that conversation around healthy baby, healthy mum. That's what's that at the end of the day is the most important thing, but be educated, be empowered and have birth wishes so that you can have your best birth and it be as close to what you want for your birth wishes but what I see is that people feel really disappointed like let's say that their plan like a hypothetical plan is for you know I I don't want to have any drugs in labor you know and that's you know I want to have a natural vaginal birth and that's perfectly reasonable thing you can do a lot of work and you really can if you're educated and do a lot of work towards that but the reality is sometimes that's not the way for all women we need to acknowledge that and support those women and say that's not, not going to plan. You know, that's still healthy baby, healthy mum.
1: I like the idea of birth wishes and it comes down to respect as well. Like we can respect a woman's wishes that are outlined, but when you come to a plan, it can be really hard to stick to the plan, yeah. right? So I like the idea of birth wishes. However, a woman still needs to have her wishes listened to and adhered to. For me... I'm really concerned about the wishes that get met in terms of what hap- what's going to happen with her pelvic floor. So a lot of education that I do is, you know, prenatally trying to prevent these pelvic floor issues from occurring. So what kind of things can they put into their birth wishes or their birth plan about how they can reduce
2: any type of pelvic floor trauma? Yeah, so I think like what we've discussed, like position is a big thing, you know, active upright labour. And often it can just be really simple things around the language. So we know that the more you intervene, and when I say the more you intervene, so the more you introduce things like um, drugs or um, any sort of intervention, it's what we call the cascade of intervention. Once you put one intervention in, it's likely that you're going to need further intervention. So that's kind of where you start. Start at the first step and thinking around your birth wishes. So it might be that you have an induction of labour suggested. Explore why you're having an induction of labour. You know, Have that conversation, be educated, and talk to your health professionals. Is it necessary? Is this the you know right thing for the baby and I? What's the reason for the induction of labour? I also say, like, I have a lot of women that say that they don't want to use any drugs in labour. And I say, so in your birth wishes, this is a really good little tip or trick for you all to take away if you're pregnant. To not be asked if I would like some pain relief. And I know that sounds like a really simple thing, but if you're experiencing pain and someone comes into you and says, Would you like something for the pain? What's your instinct? Of course yeah. I want something for the pain. Yeah, Give it to I me right now. <laughs> Whereas if it's something that you have to make the conscious decision to ask for it, It's a very different mindset and a different power play in the birth suite. That's right. So many of the women I I see,
1: their birth hasn't gone to plan. And a lot of them have been, you know, a lot of them have actually taken these pain medications and they didn't want to in the first place. And a lot of them think that that's also part of the reason why that cascade of intervention started. And this is why I ended up with, you know, this perineal tear or this, this prolapse, because I couldn't feel what was happening down there because I had an epidural and because I wasn't aware of what was happening down there. This is why I've torn. And I blame the fact that I made that decision in that moment to have that epidural. And so they hold on to that as well. So it's not just that they have this pelvic floor trauma. They also have this emotional trauma
2: that's linked to what's going on in their pelvic floor as well. Yeah. It's an incredibly complex, complex time for women. And that's where if Again, you know, you're educated and you know, like, and I'll own it. I had an epidural for one of my births and I didn't for the next. But I will say that even though I was a midwife, I don't think I was properly prepared for my first birth. And that's a big part of why I had an epidural. But I had the epidural with knowledge and empowerment and no guilt. So if you have that knowledge and that education and you're making the decision, it puts you in a place of power again. Whereas you're not feeling like it was pushed onto you. Edwina, I've worked in women's health
1: physiotherapy for so many years. And, you know, I've seen the aftermath of birth-related pelvic floor injury. And in particular, I've seen the injuries that occur with forceps. So many of the women that I've worked with have unfortunately developed pelvic organ prolapse that's related directly to the use of forceps. Or they've had what's known as a levator avulsion, which is essentially when part of the pelvic floor itself tears off of the pubic bone and the research shows that there is a high correlation between pelvic floor tears and perineal tears and the use of forceps. What are your thoughts on forceps and is there anything that women can do to avoid the use of
2: forceps assisted deliveries? Okay that sounds like a simple question but that is actually such a big question. Um, First and foremost I feel like women who are listening to this It sounds like I want to make sure that that we're not trying to create any fear. We're trying to create empowerment and education. There is a time for forceps. Otherwise, they wouldn't exist. You know, we have to be realistic about that. And I come from probably the very midwifery obstetric angle where I'm in there and I see forceps at times when they're used. The biggest thing, though, is to be having a conversation with your care provider about when you will and won't allow forceps. So that is a procedure that you need to talk and have a discussion with your care provider about it. I will say forceps are used less and less these days, but times when they are used or the times that it is appropriate for them to be used is usually when it's either the maternal or the fetal health that's being compromised. (laughs) And that's the time where I go, yes, that's appropriate to use forceps. I am very, very lucky in the maternity unit that I work with is very pro-women, very active birth, and I haven't had those experiences that you're talking about. It sounds like that is when forceps are used with some force or used inappropriately. So again, I was just discussing, there's an incredible midwife who's done a lot of research at the University of Western Sydney, and she makes the comment that women will put more research into purchasing white goods rather than more research into choosing who their care providers in pregnancy and birth are. So I guess the biggest tip that I can say to women is go and talk with your care providers, talk with your midwife, talk with your obstetrician and hear their opinion on this for you. This is one of the most important things that I'd like to
1: get out of this podcast is that it's not just about the baby, it's about you as well. So you need to come back and, you know, just like you're choosing the best obstetrician to deliver your baby because you want the healthiest baby or just because you were choosing that pram that costs that much money because it's going to be the best pram for your baby you have to make the same decisions and the same you know the same level of education and research into who's going to be looking after you absolutely not just after birth when things might not have gone the way that you wanted them to but also before birth to prepare you and prevent things from happening in the first place. So That's right. Absolutely. We I champion the same thing. Healthy baby and healthy mum. Because a healthy mum is going to have a healthier baby too. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. So what can women put into their birth plan or birth wishes when it comes to things like forceps?
2: yep yeah. um so like and again it's it's perfectly reasonable to have that discussion antenatally and i really encourage women to do it antenatally this isn't a conversation to be having when you're in labor because think about again the experience of being in labor is an incredibly intense experience so this needs to be a conversation that's had with you your support person and your care provider antenatally and discussing like The thought of forceps is really quite scary to me. You know, what are our options? When would you use forceps? Why would you use forceps? And having those discussions and then having written on paper that that is the time that you would consider forceps. And those times are, you know, fetal distress or maternal reasons. And so then you've actually better prepared mentally and physically for whatever's
1: coming. And I think it's also really important that women are aware that there are certain things that they need to do to prevent things from happening that could, for example, perineal tearing. Yeah. There are things that we can do to prevent that from happening. So in my clinic, when I was working in private practice, I, when women would come to see me and I did an assessment and I could see that they were at a higher risk of a perineal tear, There were some strategies that I would give them and it would be things like relaxation of your pelvic floor, learning how to let go of your pelvic floor, learning how to breathe properly. So many women are completely Mm. unaware of the way that they should be breathing, you know, even day to day, but even in birth and in labor as well. And sometimes I would even do, sometimes I would even teach them things like (laughs) perineal massage, perineal massage techniques that they can do at home starting from 32 to 34 weeks where they can come in and using their fingers, clean obviously, they can just go into their vaginal area and start to do a bit of self-massage to help prepare the birth canal, prepare the vagina so that it can, you know, have that stretch without being overstretched, which essentially happens during birth because your vagina's never stretched to that level before, right? Yeah. So you have to do that perineal preparation. Are there strategies like that that you
2: also recommend to women as a weird wife? Yeah. So there's basic perineal massage and um, I give them a booklet and we explain about the benefits of perineal massage. My friends joke that I'm the queen of outsourcing, Heber. And so I basically outsourced my perineal massage to a product called an Epino. So for those listening, they're probably an Epino is a product that you can buy and it's a silicone balloon. We're getting into a lot of greedy detail here and I'm happy to share because I'm a midwife and I have no shame. But what it is, is you put that silicone balloon after you've spoken to your care provider and check that that's okay. From about 37 weeks, you can insert it into your vagina, you blow up the balloon and you practice squeezing that balloon out. I know that sounds nuts. Jump online, have a look at the product. It's great. What I will say is it's finding something that you feel comfortable doing. Perineal massage wasn't necessarily for me, but I do suggest that do something to help prepare. Again, it's like running the marathon. You know, you're going to stretch and train your muscles. Why not stretch and train your perineum? With the Epino, and I'm happy to say it, my husband sort of jokes and says, I don't know if you should be proud of the fact that you have a rubbery vagina, but <laughs> I've had two children, no tears, and my son was 4.2 kilos. Wow. Um, so I'm a fan of it personally, but that's my personal opinion. That's not midwifery advice.
1: Edwina, a lot of women are so afraid of what birth is going to feel
2: like, can you give us an idea of what it should or does feel like? Absolutely. And actually, that's why I'm so passionate about teaching birth beat, is because I feel like This isn't something that can be glossed over. This is something that women really fear. What is it actually going to feel like? And it's quite hard to find that information. So we are all about what does it look, sound, and feel like. That's so important. So I don't know, if you grew up in Australia a few decades ago, I'm showing my age now, your friends used to twist your wrist really, really tightly and it would have this burning feeling on your skin. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, there you go. Terrible thing that we did. I'm sure it's not allowed in schools now. And I describe it to my mums, it's a hot, stingy, burning feeling as everything stretches. But there is this enormous feeling of satisfaction. We also refer to it as the ring of fire. I know there's awful really sounding things, but the incredible satisfaction to be able to listen to your body. Your body is telling you to push the baby's head through that ring of fire And it is incredibly satisfying and gratifying when you're able to listen to that primal urge. That is a really interesting way (laughs) of putting it. (laughs) Very honest, though, isn't it? (laughs) So you can kind of feel like it's going to be this strong burn down there almost. Yeah. And it's satisfying to push through the burn. And then once. It only lasts for a short amount of time. And then you have this overwhelming joy that it's done. And then once it's done, it's done, you're not you don't really feel nope. you know, that it's those, those burny burning sensations. That's anymore. right. That area, so the perineum and your around your fanny, is going to be quite swollen and hot feeling. But what I always say to the birthbeat women as well and to all women that are listening, freeze a couple of condoms, put them inside a maternity pad and stick that between your legs for the first twenty four to forty-eight hours, like you would ice any injury, and very quickly the swelling and the heat decreases. It's very interesting that you say that because I often say
1: Treat birth like a sports injury. And if you have a sports injury, you would you nice. know, ice that sports yeah. injury. The same way you would ice your, you know, your vaginal area and you Absolutely. can do it. Yeah, a condoms are really yep, great. We just, way just of made a little it. video. It's
2: going to be on the website sh- soon on how to make what we call peri popsicles. Interesting.
1: <laughs> so you mentioned that your birth was relatively, um, you know, uneventful in terms of, when you gave birth, you didn't really have any
2: tearing. What about in the lead up to that? How, how was your labour? I was going to say, so I, I think I briefly said it earlier, so I didn't go to childbirth classes for Polly, who's now six, and I also told my husband that he didn't need to go to childbirth classes. And I really robbed him of the opportunity. And even though I was a registered midwife – it was the marathon and the preparation that I really didn't have enough knowledge around. So I went into early labour. I was about sort of four o'clock in the afternoon. I was on a group midwifery program. So my beautiful midwife came to our house and assessed me. And I was three centimetres at six o'clock in the evening. And I thought, I'm a highly competitive person. I thought, this is going to be a breeze. I'm going to be really good at this labour thing. (laughs) And I stayed up all night and I used all my tips and tricks I was in and out of the bath, everything, but I wasn't even in established labour. I was still just in early labour. In hindsight, I should have taken two panadol and gone to bed. I wasn't really, like they were a bit uncomfortable, it was a bit crampy. What happened to me though at 6.30 in the morning when I woke my husband was I was exhausted. I'd been awake all night and I see this all the time with first-time mums who are excited about it happening and so they think, yeah, this is it, this is labour. The best advice I can give you is ignore it until you can't. In terms of the contractions, obviously, if you have heavy health-related issues, you need to have those addressed. But if you are having a normal labour and everything's fine, and you've spoken with your midwife, just ignore it till you can't. So, so I walked in at six thirty in the morning, absolutely exhausted, and I had a vaginal examination, and I was three and a half centimetres. Oh so I wasn't God, even, even really in yeah. labour. So a typical midwife, I said, right, let's get this done, start an induction. Asked for the Sintocin it was very intense, very quickly. Then asked for the epidural. It, you know, a lot more intervention than what I had planned. I was very lucky that I still had a vaginal birth and I had a healthy baby girl. That's the most important thing. But as a result of that, I decided when I was writing Birthbeat around the things that are really important to me and I wished I had have known, and that's what I've included in Birthbeat, and I can genuinely say the birth of our son, Theo... I woke up at two or three o'clock in the morning. I thought this could be it. Rolled over, went back to sleep. I just dozed in and out of those early contractions, got up in the morning, went for a big walk around the block, did my things just normally around the house so that I was trying to keep myself distracted. And I think it was by about 11 o'clock that my midwife came to see me in the morning. I was seven centimetres and it was time to go to the hospital. Stood in the shower under the hot water, Absolutely reminding myself that every contraction that came was a good thing. You know, I was wanting to welcome that. I understood the process because I was so well prepared with birthbeat, as was my husband, Roscoe, and it was 20 minutes of pushing and he was a 4.2 kilo baby and I was home the next day.
1: Amazing. It
2: is. And that's what birth can be with education. I'm not saying all births will be that if you've had education, there's still going to be those that aren't, but you're putting your best effort into having that. Absolutely. I completely agree. And
1: that's why it's so important that we have that birth education before birth, during pregnancy, as early as possible, so we can start preparing for the marathon as early as possible. Absolutely. One last thing that a lot of women experience in pregnancy and after birth are hemorrhoids. In your personal experience, how often do you see hemorrhoids? And is there anything that women can do to avoid hemorrhoids from occurring? And if they do occur, what can they do to prevent them from getting worse or Make them as less prominent as possible.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we, um, so in the birth suite, we see sometimes when people are pushing and pushing for a long amount of time that they can develop hemorrhoids. Prior to that, it's really important that the women have a lot of high-fibre diet, you know, have important that they understand what a normal stool is and work towards that. Keep really, really hydrated. Again, I feel like you're probably much more um, knowledgeable than me, Heber, in this area. But the biggest thing I will say to women after having their baby is that fear around doing the first poo. So many women work like working in maternity are scared about doing their first poo or they rush the process. So the biggest thing is to make sure that it's not something you, A, you either hold on to or B, you rush. Take the time to do it. Don't feel like you're rushed or any pressure. Don't be scared about it, but also elevating your heels, being in the ideal position so that you can do with poo most comfortably. It's been
1: amazing having you here Edwina teaching us all about the importance of birth education and I really really value all the information that you gave with regards to birth positioning and birth wishes. So thank you for joining us Edwina.
2: My absolute pleasure Heba and my message just is to all mums or all mums expecting is get education that you feel comfortable with and that you trust and take the time to choose your care providers.
1: Absolutely. We know that birth education can be so profound in helping women to reduce the fear associated during pregnancy, during birth, and also better prepare them for what's to come. One of the take home messages I want to send out as well is that yes, if you do give birth and you do experience any type of pelvic floor issue, it's not the end of the world. You can actually start to recover from it. It may not be that. You would be able to prevent it if if you had some type of genetic issue, for example. But after birth, you can definitely overcome it with the help of a women's health physiotherapist. You can definitely speak to your health professionals team, your obstetrician, your midwife and so on. And remember that it's so much better to reverse things that occur when they occur as early postnatal as possible. So try not to leave it too late, but even if it has been a few years, that's still okay. You can still fix these issues today. And talk about it, women. Yes, let's talk about it. Thanks so much, Edwina. Thanks, Heber.
0: That's it for this episode of Bellies, Bits and Babies, a babyology podcast hosted by Heber Shahid, physiotherapist and pelvic expert. If you have a question or a comment, send us an email, podcast at babyology.com.au. And if you think this podcast might help a friend, please let them know. Next time on Bellies, Bits and Babies, we'll be talking about the mummy tummy it's not just you know extra fat around the middle absolutely no it's an
1: actual (laughs) physical problem like a
0: muscle problem a connective
1: tissue problem and the thing is we don't realize that oftentimes there's a relationship between not just you know something that's hanging out there but also what's happening inside internally